KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. If you want to help the environment, you can recycle or limit your use of plastics. If you want to advocate for civil rights, you might march in a protest. You could also do those things by shopping. Whereas, like, you see someone walking down the street and they're wearing a piece by Grand Boulevard, and you know they care about pulling up for women of color, they care about the future of the planet. They really believe in the quality of life for all of us and using fashion to alleviate poverty. And they recognize that the alleviation of poverty is what's going to be required to reduce crime. Fashion is a way of expressing our identities. But how can you get all of that from a piece of clothing? This is The John Cast, a podcast about interesting and unexpected stories from Philadelphia. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa, and this week... We meet a woman who is on a mission to change the way we think about what we wear. She takes us on a journey back to the 1960s to show how fashion can make a statement about civil rights. And today, she's demonstrating how businesses can do better, helping the environment and people in our community with two small but mighty clothing stores. Kimberly McLawn is the owner of Grant Boulevard, a store that focuses on ethical and sustainable fashion. Earlier this year, she opened a second store, Black Ivy, spelled B-L-K-I-V-Y. It's a vintage shop based on the styles of the civil rights era. But a few years ago, Kimberly was pretty far from the fashion industry. I was a classroom teacher, believe it or not, for about 20 years. I was always interested in stories of marginalization, using American literature to really create some tenderness for challenging conversations about things that many of us don't have much, much experience with talking about. She decided to take a sabbatical from teaching to explore another passion, travel. And so I traveled to East Africa by myself and spent some time in Scandinavia. And when I came home in 2016, Ava DuVernay had just released the documentary 13th. And that film was really catalytic for me because it put into a wider narrative arc the ways in which American history continued to inform differing degrees of American struggle, particularly for people who are black and brown and formerly incarcerated. Kimberly loved teaching, but she couldn't shake the desire to do something to help people who have been struggling in the systems our government has in place. For me, it was about figuring out, could I use fashion as a vehicle for creating living wage work for people who um, were really in many ways persistently shut out of economic opportunity? Why clothes? Why, if if the the goal was to create this place for opportunities, why is this the format that it ends up taking? I think that that's where it becomes the, the arrival of the creative muse. Uh, my grandmother was a garment worker for Local 218. She made bridal wear in the 1960s. I thought it was just the thing that I might have intuitively understood more than other things, and I thought that it could be a way. So I started studying the fashion industry and saw how it's really built on gross, abusive exploitation hmm. and uh, a real sense of of violence against the planet. And so I decided that if I wanted to solve her problem X, I didn't want to do it by making problem Y worse. So she decided to launch a sustainable fashion brand where she could employ people whose opportunities have been limited. 
But she had never worked in fashion before. She had to learn a whole new field. I took a course at a, locally here in Philadelphia with this incredible woman. Shout out to Rachel Ford. And she allowed me to kind of study the business of fashion. Rachel Ford runs the Maid Institute, a fashion design school in the Callow Hill neighborhood of Philadelphia. So this is the Maid Institute. Yeah, this is Maid Institute. So um, I can take you around the studio, show you around. Um, so back here is where we do all of our sewing classes. We have industrial sewing machines. I think that that's a really important part of teaching people how to sew, but also... It's unique in that it's not a university but their program gives students all the training they need to start a career in fashion. Our program uh, is uh, 17 courses over the course of 18 months. Okay. Um, and so in that time, they're learning everything from sewing and pattern making to design, fashion illustration, all the way into the business of fashion. Yeah. Um, so you can come here with absolutely no knowledge whatsoever, and we will get you to become a proficient sewer, even a professional sewer. Um, the only requirements, however, are a high school GED or a high school diploma or a GED. So um, we really believe in making this education accessible. It's what yeah. I wanted to see. It was like, you know, if we could make a fashion clubhouse where everyone feels safe <laughs> and seen um, and it doesn't have to be reserved for only the people who can afford a four-year degree. Graduates of Made Institute's program have gone on to work for major fashion brands like Urban Outfitters or pretty often, to start their own companies. You can also take individual classes if you just want to learn how to sew, or in Kimberly's case, if you just want to learn the business side of things. I didn't need to know how to do everything. I just needed to figure out how to build a team of people who could do things I couldn't do better than I could if I dedicated five years to pursuing them. She took Rachel's Business of Fashion class, and then found a seamstress and a team with the same values she had, values that a lot of young people in fashion are looking for. Rachel says a lot of her students recently want to focus on ethical and sustainable fashion, trying to counter some of the problems that plague the fashion industry. Fashion, uh, for good reason, has a terrible reputation for not really putting people first. Um, and that's real. That's not made up. That's very much a lot of large fashion. Then there's also the doom and gloom of, you know, how bad it is for the environment. And I think that people don't necessarily feel like they can make a change in that direction. They're like, oh, that's horrible. I feel so bad. But what can I do? You know, I don't have the money to spend on these expensive, right. locally made, sustainably made pieces. Um, and to that, always the answer is um, buying more intentionally and less often. Fashion has been so focused on trends that come and go quickly, and that's where you get the idea of fast fashion. Cheap clothes that are mass-produced and not built to last, because they're just going to go out of style in a month anyway. What Kimberly and a lot of other new designers are doing is making quality, one-of-a-kind items that might be more expensive, but you'll wear them for a long time. Rachel calls them life pieces. Gen Z is turning into, like, everything is upcycled. All of their posts are showing something they made that night and then they're selling it. It's like DM me for info and then it's gone. It's not cool to be buying H&M off the rack because that's like basic. Kimberly is a bit older than Gen Z, 
But she's been doing the same thing with Grant Boulevard. In the beginning of our journey, we were really committed to zero waste design, which is you take nothing new and you you produce something artful and new. Now, the Grant Boulevard team incorporates a variety of fabrics, making sure to remain open with their customers about where the materials come from and how much they cost. We're going to lead with pricing transparency, which is like, this is how much our labor is, and this Mm -hmm. is how much the fabric costs, and this is how much notions, things like buttons and zippers, how much they cost. This is our markup. Uh, We're going to lead with transparency as a way of letting people know what what the value proposition is. What people will experience when they come here is they will see accessories that are, you know, $20 $20 and candles that are, you know, $20. They'll see t-shirts and sweatshirts, and then they'll see some elevated looks as well. There'll be things available from $20 to probably maybe like $600, depending on depending on how much detail went into the construction of the piece. We're imagining a new kind of luxury, which is where you have the means to take care of other people and take care of the planet's finite resources, and using that to create a conversation about a new kind of legacy. Grant Boulevard is a fair chance hiring company, which is the mission that first inspired Kimberly, to be able to offer opportunities to people who have previously been incarcerated. If you want to know more about what that means, go back and listen to our episode from August 2022 on Triple Bottom Brewing, another fair chance company in Philly. Kimberly doesn't have any staff yet who are formerly incarcerated, but she's made employment opportunities as open and accessible as possible. We employ people who represent a diversity of groups and and identities that have faced significant barriers. We have members on our team who are gender non-conforming or who identify as trans. So there are many ways that we're thinking about opening up space to offer dignity to everyone. She's working on a partnership for the fall that would offer sewing lessons for 10 people and teach the Grant Boulevard staff how to work with employees who have experienced trauma. She's also hired some graduates from the Maid Institute, and she's making sure she can pay her staff a livable wage. A lot of experienced sewers can't get by on the minimum wage that many factories offer. Grant Boulevard is the country's first Black-owned B Corp in the fashion industry. You may have heard of other B Corps before, like Ben & Jerry's or Patagonia. It's short for benefit corporations, companies that are working for the greater good in some way, rather than prioritizing profit. The organization that certifies B Corps, called B Lab, is actually based nearby in Paoli, Pennsylvania. Lynn Anderson is an associate professor at Temple's Fox School of Business. She served on the board of the Sustainable Business Network of Greater Philadelphia, and through that, she knows the team who started B Lab in 2006. B Lab's aim was to create this new certification program for companies that wanted to you know, show the world and wear a bee that they were socially responsible. One of the early alignments was to work with the Sustainable Business Network to get a lot of small Philly businesses certified, you know. But then it just, it really did take off. To become a certified B Corp, you have to first fill out a survey and then go through an audit with the B Lab team. They ended up with this 200-point certification process where if a, if a company scored up to 80 points, they could wear the bee. And the points, they got points for how well they treated communities, how well they treated employees, how well they treated the natural environment, and then what their governance structure looked like in terms of diversity and how they ran the company. That certification lets you stamp a B on your business materials to show your company's values, 
which will draw in customers with the same values. There's also a separate process now for incorporating legally as a B Corp. They decided to start working on legislation so that companies could charter as benefit corporations in their states. And usually you charter as an LLC or a C Corp, which basically, according to corporate law, kind of says, I'm, you know, I'm going to look out for my shareholders first. A B Corp charter allows a company to look out for all their stakeholders, like employees, not just people who have a financial investment in the company. So if their shareholders make a little less because they're paying their employees more, that's okay. At least 37 states in the U.S. now have passed this legislation. And I think there's at least 60 or 70 either countries or states within countries where you can, you know, you can charter a company as a benefit corporation. Lynn is also a big fan of Kimberly's. She's invited Kimberly to come speak at Temple as an example of a small business that's doing this B Corp thing right. I'm amazed. She's doing it as well as someone can do it. She's a social mission-driven business over a profit-driven business. And, uh, you know, I love what she's doing. I really do. Grant Boulevard first opened just three years ago, and Kimberly is already growing her vision. It started with a decision to move the store. We worked it out where we thought that this a really great new soil for Grand Boulevard would be to open a, pen, a flagship on Penn's campus. The new location, part of the Shop Penn stores at 34th and Walnut, will bring in more traffic and start conversations with college students. She just opened there in April of 2023, but that left her with an empty building where Grant Boulevard originally was. This unique open space on the corner of 36th and Lancaster Avenue in Powelton Village. And when I made that decision, it was like, what are we going to do with this, this such eclectic commercial space that we're just going to let it go? And I, I really didn't want to do that. So she didn't. She had another idea. I've always loved to time travel. In a minute, we'll hear about how Kimberly time travels through fashion with her second store, Black Ivy how it draws on the fashion of the civil rights movement, and how it connects to a bigger picture of Black folks paving our way and taking a stand through fashion. Welcome back to the JohnCast. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Serka. Around 2022, Kimberly McLawn started the process of moving Grant Boulevard to its new flagship location on Penn's campus, and had to decide what to do with the existing space on Lancaster Avenue. There was this other story that I wanted to tell, which was about the past, as I think about positioning Grant Boulevard to be a story of the now and the future. That story took shape as Black Ivy. So welcome to Black Ivy. We are a shoppable museum dedicated to the fashion of the civil rights movement. A garage-style door opens to the street, so you can see almost the whole store as you walk by, and you can shop in the open air. Clothes racks line the walls, and in the center of the single room are couches and a table, surrounded by vintage books and photos and even an old typewriter. You know, when you come here, you'll see albums that are, that are placed in special positioning by, you know, women that I love, Roberta Flack, and groups that I love, like Earth, Wind & Fire, and songwriters that I love, like Bob Dylan, who are all in this era using their own time and talents to get to the front line in this fight for, for justice and, and for inclusion. So 
I think that we look at black and white photos and we think that that was so long ago and we don't remember that the same people who were the reason why those kids in Little Rock went home from school every day soaking wet, not with sweat, but with spit, that just as the Little Rock Nine are with us and in their 60s, that the kids and the adults who abuse them are also with us. Black Ivy is Kimberly's way of bringing the civil rights movement into the present, reminding us that just as fashion trends from the past may influence modern styles, the things that civil rights leaders fought for in the 50s and 60s are still part of the conversations we're having today. The clothes are thrifted and vintage items inspired by those pioneers. You know, thinking about like, how do we do an all black monochrome like the Black Panthers did? How do we approach, you know, a dress with really incredible darting like Coretta Scott might have worn or a shift dress that Nina Simone might have worn? Materials in the fall that are warmer like the corduroys and the suede. Specifically, Kimberly is drawing on the Black Ivy fashion movement, which is rooted in jazz and black intellectuals of the 50s and 60s. This was really an opportunity or a space where black men were sort of shifting and directing the style of those times, and it was called Black Ivy. Farai Samoyi is a fashion design professor at Thomas Jefferson University, and she knows a lot about fashion history. It derived from the Ivy League schools where there was, with a lot of white men, there was that prep culture. Mm -hmm. So black men wanted to come in and say, you know, we're going to put a spin or a twist onto our style. And then it just sort of caught on that their style was called Black Ivy. It was really inspired by art and music and style and culture. So a lot of colors, sweaters, slacks. Um, button-down shirts, you know, a nice top hat to go with it. In my mind, I hear all this, and I think, like, showing that Black men can be educated and can be Ivy League intellectuals, was that kind of, like, the idea? Yeah, I think the the concept behind the the Black Ivy dressing is really showmanship. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in Black culture, especially in the 50s and 60s, even if you didn't have money or come from a background of being educated, you had to show that you were because the better dressed you looked, the less of a threat you were to white people. So black fashion has always been rooted in survival. Black people have always struggled, right, to find their footing economically and financially. So a lot of our style derived from hand-me-downs. You don't want it to look like it's in the past, so what you're going to do is maybe cut the legs off to turn it into shorts, roll it up, or you know, make the t-shirt more of a crop top. So for us, when we think about you know, even sustainable fashion and um, upcycling and reusing style, that's been our culture. It's always taking what we've already had and making it new again. Farai is also a fashion entrepreneur herself. She has a shop in Brooklyn called The Narrative House that highlights Black designers and sustainably sourced materials with items from Africa and around the world. She's also consulted and designed for celebrities like Beyonce, Jay-Z, Nicki Minaj, and Justin Timberlake. So she's kind of a big deal. And she's seen firsthand how Black fashion has gone from being overlooked to being celebrated. I think for a long time, actually up until just about five years ago, black people were not in the fashion conversations. We were tailors, we were dressmakers, pattern makers, 
production developers. And a lot of the things that we made were worn by first ladies of our president, such as President Kennedy's wife, Jackie O. But we were never given the credit. We're now getting to a space of knowing and understanding how much black people contributed to American culture as a whole, especially in style and in fashion. And I think the Black Lives Matter movement created this opening where now black leaders in this space, um, top black designers, can now create incubators and build stores um, like Kimberly has done. Those are places where black people are invited to be in. But anybody and anyone is welcome to shop here. She says fashion has been one way for black folks to express our freedom. Even if you don't have much, you have your clothes. And historically, sometimes clothes were part of achieving freedom. Taking it back to, you know, the civil rights even before that when black people were enslaved and we used to put messages and notes in our hair, in our clothing, right? And you would have to rip open the seam to see a message inside of the clothing and it's like, you can see the storytelling through those designs now, and it's just really beautiful to see. Kimberly's work with Black Ivy and Grant Boulevard is definitely telling a story, and also making a connection between ethical fashion and Black history, and also to Black communities today. So many sewers or designers or factory workers are people of color, and they're helped by bringing fashion back to being a handmade art, where they can make a living and have their work recognized. Farai and I talked about that connection and how far back it goes. The very root of clothing is the cotton that makes your clothes and the slaves that picked that cotton. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing people in these manufacturing uh, facilities, not literally slaves, but working for very little money, mm -hmm. being overworked. And it's, you know, tiny progress. Not yeah. Enough progress. Not enough. In all these years... How are we still here? Mm -hmm. It's very alarming. Yeah. And yeah, and that's why like I just love the work that she's doing because she's making it a statement that fashion is activism. Mm -hmm. And fashion belongs in this space, but how can we continue to push the envelope and make it better? That's exactly the kind of history combined with forward thinking behind Black Ivy. Kimberly says there's even a historical connection to the location of the store. Black Ivy actually exists in a neighborhood, a section of West Philadelphia that was called Black Bottom. So it was the black neighborhood, the place where black folks were, you know, were gathering in West Philadelphia for many, many years until gentrification created some massive um, disbursement, right? But I still think that we are sitting in this really beautiful intersection, if you would, of people from all around the world via Penn, via Drexel's campus, and this older, rich legacy of jazz music and the place where Martin Luther King came and spoke on 40th and Lancaster in, in the 60s and drew out 10,000 people to hear him speak. So it really is this intersection of the, of the past and the present. And I think what could be a really radical future of, a, of an integrated Philadelphia. Philadelphia as a whole is doing really great work in moving the fashion industry forward. It might not be the first place that comes to mind when you think of fashion, but Philly has always been a little DIY and scrappy, a spot where a small business can work without being swallowed by the giants in a place like New York. And young designers here have that passion for doing good for the world. Rachel sees it at Made Institute, 
Ann Farai sees it in her program at Thomas Jefferson University, which now has two courses on sustainable fashion. Philadelphia is sort of like at the bubble of bursting into this sustainable fashion space that really hones in on what does Black identity and fashion look like? What does multicultural identity and fashion look like? It's coming. I mean, it's here. Yeah. Philly's kind of like that, like that cousin that's like real gritty. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like they like kick you in the shin, and but then it's like they don't care because they're just like here to stay. So I feel like that's how <laughs> Philly is going to be. Like New York City will always be like the big brother, but like Philly yeah. is going to be that cousin that's going to like kick you in the shin and be like, get out of my way. So that's what I love about what's happening here. If this has got you thinking about how you can make a difference through your clothes, of course you should check out Kimberly's stores or maybe look around your neighborhood for some local boutiques. But if you don't have the money to spend on new custom clothes right now, that's okay. Rachel at Made Institute says there are other ways that you can support small businesses and ethical fashion. Yes, purchasing, but it also can just be showing up in person to an event, telling your friends, your friends will start to go, and then eventually it turns into purchasing. I want to encourage the idea that it doesn't have to start with dollars if people don't feel like they have dollars. It's okay if you are still wearing your H&M, it's okay, no one's mad at you. But if you care enough to research, show up, and then eventually save up and buy something. It doesn't have to be a gigantic investment. It can really be small steps. The Johncast is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcasts, and it's made in Philadelphia by Tom Rickert, Brian Seltzer, Myron Kaplan, Holly Stevens, Bibiana Correa, Lauren Obaza, and me, Sabrina Boyd Circa. We've got a bunch of links in our show notes with info on Kimberly's stores, the fashion programs we talked about, B Corps, and more. So check those out if you're interested in learning more or doing some shopping. You can also follow us on Twitter, at The Johncast, for some pictures of Kimberly's shops and styles. If you want to hear more from us, follow The Johncast on the free Odyssey app or any podcast player. And you've heard this before. Please leave us a rating and a review if you've enjoyed our stories. Tell a friend, give us a shout out on social media. We love to hear from you. And all of that really does mean a lot to our team. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back with another story soon.